A listener note, this podcast deals with adult topics and is not suitable for young listeners. Studies show that 20% of women who die during pregnancy are victims of murder, making it the second leading cause of death for pregnant women in the U.S., with car accidents being the most common cause of death. Lisa James, the Director of Health for Futures Without Violence, says that pregnancy is a time of risk for women, which can lead to preterm labor, low birth weight, or other complications. 31% of those convicted on misdemeanor domestic violence charges were arrested again within a year of being released, and 44% were arrested again within two years. In today's episode, I'm sharing the story of 21-year-old Bethany Decker, who mysteriously vanished after being caught up in a love triangle with a very dangerous man. I'm Brooke Wilkerson. This is the Murder Podcast. And this is her story. Bethany Littlejohn Decker was born in Fredericksburg, Virginia in 1990. She went to George Mason University after high school, where she was working towards her degree in global and economic change, while also working full-time to support herself. And in 2001, when she went missing, she was just a few classes away from finishing her degree. In 2009, at just 19, Bethany became pregnant by her boyfriend, Emile Decker, who was in the National Guard. The two ended up getting married that year and welcomed their baby boy six months later. While Bethany was working and in school, Emil would often be deployed to Afghanistan, and Bethany relied on her in-laws to help care for her son while she juggled work and school. Bethany and her son lived with her in-laws while Emil was deployed, but it was during one of his deployments that Bethany met another man named Ronald Rolden. Ronald was an immigrant from Bolivia who was 30 years old and had moved in near her. He had been living in the U.S. since he was 11 years old, and the two began having an affair. Towards the end of 2010, Bethany and Emile's marriage was crumbling, and Bethany moved into an apartment in Ashburn, Virginia. Shortly after, Ronald moved in with her. It didn't take long for Bethany's family to discover that Ronald was abusive, possessive, and controlling. Ronald would actually demand that Bethany send him a picture of herself several times throughout the day so that he could verify that she was where she said she was and to see who she was with. Ronald had at least four other children by three different women and was already a convicted felon with a criminal record that included identity theft, public intoxication, and a destruction of property charge after smashing in a woman's car window. One of his children had allegedly died from SIDS while in his care, but I don't think that Bethany knew about any of this when she was dating him. Emil knew that Bethany was dating someone else, but he was deployed and he still wanted to work things out with her. Bethany's family started to believe that both Bethany and her son were being abused by Ronald. Her mom would later tell reporters that they couldn't prove it, but that Bethany's son had black eyes on his first birthday, which she thought Ronald had caused. 
but Bethany had an explanation for his black eye, telling her parents that a friend was watching him when a chair that he was holding onto fell backwards. Her family didn't buy it, and Bethany's grandparents said that when they saw her son around Ronald, that he was very afraid of him. Understandably, Bethany's family was alarmed and wanted to help her get out of the relationship. Bethany admitted that she wanted to break up with him, but that he refused to leave her apartment. They tried to convince her to just leave without her stuff, reminding her that her stuff wasn't important. She was. But Bethany wouldn't do it. What she wasn't saying was that she was scared to make that move, no doubt fearful of the repercussions of taking that step. Then Bethany finds out that she's pregnant again. Her and Emil were still technically married, and Emil was aware of her relationship with Ronald. He also knew about Bethany's pregnancy and knew that she wasn't sure if it was Emil's or Ronald's child, but he was still willing to try to work things out with her, and Bethany's mom said that she was planning to break things off with Ronald. Bethany and her mom were in the middle of creating an escape plan for her, and her due date was in August of 2011. Her parents tried to help her by changing her phone number, but later found out that Ronald had just bought her a new phone altogether. They became even more alarmed when the daycare that Bethany's son went to called to say that they got a strange phone call from someone pretending to be Emil and that they didn't believe it really was him. Bethany knew that it was Ronald, and they immediately went to the daycare to set up a code word for contacting her son. In January of 2011, Emil came home from his deployment for a month-long leave, and the couple ended up taking a vacation together to Hawaii. Apparently, Emil's parents had no idea that the two were having marital problems, and they spent the night at their house on January 28th after getting back from Hawaii. The next day, Bethany goes back to her apartment, and records show that she made a call to her work to confirm her schedule for the week. From what I can tell, Ronald didn't know about this trip to Hawaii beforehand, and I'm not really sure how she managed to sneak away from him for that long. On February 2nd, Emil's leave was over, and he returned to Afghanistan. His friends who went to the airport to send him off noticed that Bethany wasn't there, but figured that it was likely due to their marital problems. Because of her busy schedule with work and school, Bethany's family said that it was normal to not hear from her for days at a time. So when no one had heard from her after January 29th, at first they didn't take notice. It wasn't until some of Bethany's friends started getting messages from her Facebook account a few weeks later that they suspected that something was wrong. It hasn't been reported what those messages said, but Bethany's friends knew immediately that the messages were not from her, reporting that the use of the English language wasn't good in those messages. They suspected that someone was trying to impersonate her. On February 19th, three weeks after Bethany was seen by anyone, her friends finally contacted her family to ask them to check on her. Bethany's grandma drove to her apartment where she found her car parked in her usual spot, but it was parked at a strange angle. She then notices that the tire was also flat and that her car was dusty, as if it hadn't been driven in quite some time. When Bethany didn't answer the door, she knew that something was wrong and called the police to report her missing. Police started investigating and found that Bethany hadn't used her cell phone or bank accounts since January 29th, the day she had returned to her apartment from Emile's parents' house. She hadn't been to work or her classes since then either. 
both Emil and Ronald saw Bethany on the 29th, with Ronald being the last person to see or speak to her that day. At first, police believed that it was Emil who was likely responsible for her disappearance, given the messy love triangle that they were in and the fact that he didn't have a solid alibi. Since he was in Afghanistan at the time she was reported missing, they had to make arrangements just to get a phone call with him and later had him return to the U.S. where they could speak to him face-to-face. Emil agreed to take a polygraph test, and it hasn't been reported what his results were. They also interviewed Ronald, who said that the last time that he saw Bethany was the afternoon of January 29th and that he hadn't heard from her again. He told investigators that the lease was ending on her apartment, so he just moved out and moved in with his mom and assumed that Bethany had moved back in with her family. But police said that he had given them different answers about when he last saw Bethany's car parked outside of her apartment, and that raised their suspicions. In March, the police searched a field next to Bethany's apartment building. Divers searched bodies of water in the area, and canine units were brought in along with the FBI. They then got a search warrant for where Ronald was living at the time and were able to seize his cell phone and laptop. But all of those efforts yielded no evidence, no answers, and no Bethany. After that, Ronald refused to cooperate with police and was officially named a person of interest, and they confirmed that there were no other suspects in her disappearance. From the beginning, he refused to take a polygraph test. Now, I have to say, even though it sounds suspicious that he wouldn't take a polygraph test, I can't say that I blame him. Polygraphs are known to be unreliable, and they're not an exact science, which is exactly why they're not admissible in court. The American Polygraph Association claims that polygraphs are 90% accurate. However, critics say that polygraphs are only accurate 70% of the time. And you have to remember that notoriously guilty people have passed polygraph tests, like the Green River Killer. And on the other hand, innocent people have also failed the test, like Bill Wegerly, who was suspected of killing his wife in 1986, but DNA evidence later connected his wife's murder to the BTK killer, Dennis Rader. So I wouldn't put a lot of thought into whether someone agreed to take a polygraph or not. Emil eventually filed for divorce from Bethany and is no longer willing to talk to police without his lawyer present, and he is adamant that he has nothing to hide. If you've followed me for more than five minutes, then you know that I've been on a health journey for the last year or so. And while I've lost over 40 pounds so far, I've really been focusing on my nutrition. I've made a ton of changes into what I eat, incorporating tons of veggies into our meals, and I also started treating myself to Built Bars. Built Bars are the best tasting protein bar that I've ever had. They're more like a candy bar than a protein bar, which is probably why I like them so much. They are gluten-free, GMO-free, and added junk-free, and they have the best flavors like salted caramel chocolate, peanut butter, raspberry cream, and banana nut bread. My favorite part is that they are constantly releasing new flavors, which are also amazing. And if you're like me and you don't want to commit to a huge box of one flavor that you don't know if you're going to like, then you can get a 10-bar sample box to try out. And once you get hooked like me, you can then build your own boxes with your favorite flavors. Built Bar has also released their Built Boost line, which is a super yummy drink mix that has key vitamins, super plants, and the B Boost. But what I love is that there's no caffeine, no jitters, and no crash. 
And again, they have the best flavors like strawberry vanilla, pina colada, and black cherry lemonade. So if you want to check out all of the Built things, go to BuiltBar.com and use my code CHAOS to get a discount on your first order. Shortly after Bethany went missing, Ronald started seeing another woman named April Snyder. In April of 2014, the two got into an argument when Ronald saw messages on her phone and accused her of cheating on him. According to court documents, Ronald started throwing her stuff out into the front yard, and he also spit in her face and pushed her down a flight of stairs. He agreed to pay April $2,500 in damages, and the charges were dropped. He then starts dating a woman he met at work named Vicki Willoughby. She said that Ronald seemed to be very nice, charismatic, polite, and quiet. They had just started dating when Ronald asked if he could stay with her for a couple of months, and she let him. Vicky justified the quick move by stating that he had his own room, even though they were dating. But it didn't take long for Ronald to show a different side of himself. Vicky said that one minute he would be quiet, and the next he would be loud and throwing things. In an interview on the Dr. Phil show, she said that he would get in her face so close that she could feel his breath on her skin. Then one of Vicky's friends ends up telling her that she had seen on Nancy Grace a clip about Bethany's case where they mentioned that Ronald was the last person to see her alive. Ronald had never mentioned this to her and she was shocked. Vicky confronted him about this and said that he got very angry and defensive. She said that his reaction scared her and that she knew that something was wrong. But it was like after he knew that she knew, he would randomly bring up Bethany, and she believes that Ronald is 100% responsible for Bethany's disappearance. She claimed that Ronald became abusive and controlling. She said that she became isolated and scared, avoiding her friends altogether because it always caused a problem with Ronald. She told police that during one argument, Ronald threatened to hurt her friends and told her that he could make people disappear. He even abused their puppy, choking it when it misbehaved. She told Dr. Phil that she couldn't save that puppy any more than she could save herself. Vicki said that she tried to end the relationship by moving to North Carolina, but made the mistake of telling Ronald about her plans to move. She said that he insisted on going with her and got violent, refusing to take no for an answer. He forced her to allow him to move to North Carolina with her. During the first six weeks there, she recalled eight different violent episodes where Ronald abused her. In one incident, she says that he grabbed her by the hair, pulled her across the room, and started bashing her head against the kitchen counter, yanking her head back and forth from the bottom of the cabinets to the countertop over and over. She said that she was too scared to fight back because he had threatened to kill her. She said that she would wait for him to go to bed and she would then unlock all of the doors in her house so that she could run out quickly if she needed to. Vicki said that she kept two guns in her house and regularly rotated them. She said that Ronald told her that if he really wanted to, he could shoot her, the dog, and himself and they'd all be dead. On November 11th, she said that Ronald had gone to bed while she stayed up. She said she was using her laptop, and after having a short text conversation with Ronald, he then came out of the room, took her phone and laptop, and grabbed her by the hair. He then started to beat her. 
she recalls that he put his hands around her neck, but not in a way to choke her. Instead, he had a closed fist pushing hard against her neck. She said that she blacked out several times and that she actually heard her neck snap. But he didn't stop at breaking her neck. He continued to punch her, spit on her, and laugh at her while he did it. He ripped her shirt off and started biting her all over. Eventually, she ended up near one of her guns and she grabbed it with her left hand. She said that he was on top of her, forcing her onto her knees, so she held the gun backwards in her left hand and fired it blindly using her thumb. Both shots hit Ronald, one right above his heart and one in the stomach, but they didn't stop him. Instead, they made him even more angry. Ronald wrestles the gun away from Vicky and shoots her with the remaining three bullets, once in the head. She said that she believed that she was going to die then. She was throwing up blood. She thought that the bullet had gone through the back of her head, but she would later find out that it was lodged inside of her head. Ronald continued to beat her before finally stopping and pacing the room for a second. She figured that he would end up finishing her off. So when she saw him cross the threshold into the kitchen, she took off running out the front door. Around 1.40 a.m., she stumbled topless to her neighbor's house and tried to get help, but they didn't answer. She thought that Ronald would likely be behind her, so she tried to quietly wake her neighbors. She didn't knock on their doors. She only rang the doorbells over and over, moving on to the next house if they didn't answer quick enough. She went house to house until someone finally answered the door. The man was armed, believing that he was about to be robbed, but when he saw that she was shirtless and covered in blood, he knew that she was a victim and let her inside. The man's wife took Vicky to a safe place inside the house and called the cops before Vicky lost consciousness again. When police arrived, Ronald was still in her house and he surrendered to police without incident. They took both Vicky and Ronald to the hospital where Vicky was in the ICU for five days and spent another six days in the hospital recovering from her other injuries. As a result of this attack, Vicky lost one of her eyes and her neck was broken in two places. She had bite marks all over her body and another gunshot wound in her arm. One bullet was lodged into her brain where it could not be removed. Doctors stated that it will have to be broken down by her body and can potentially cause lead poisoning, but because of where it's located, it's nearly impossible to remove. Vicki also suffers from traumatic brain injury that will require extensive rehabilitation care throughout her life. Doctors predict that she will need at least two prosthetic eyes and many more reconstructive surgeries. Police believed that Vicki was acting in self-defense and she was not charged with any crimes. On the other hand, Ronald was charged with assault with a deadly weapon, assault on a female, discharging a firearm in an occupied dwelling, and attempted murder. After being released from the hospital, he was transferred to the Monroe County Jail and held on a million-dollar bail. In 2016, he accepted a plea deal where he pled guilty to two felony assault charges, and he was sentenced to six to eight years in prison with one and a half years of time served, meaning that he's expected to be released sometime this year. This plea deal came as a shock to Vicki and her family, who had expected the trial to start the following week after the plea deal was announced. 
they're understandably disappointed and angry with this sentence. Once his prison sentence is completed, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement has stated that they will begin deportation proceedings to Bolivia. But Vicky is terrified of the day that Ronald is released. She is convinced that the moment he gets out, he will come to finish her off. Not to mention, even if he's deported to Bolivia, that just means that women in that country will now be in danger. Meanwhile, Vicky, who didn't have health insurance at the time, faced an exorbitant amount of medical bills. In the show notes, I'll link to the GoFundMe page set up by her sister to help her out with those bills and living expenses. Vicky told Dr. Phil if she had only looked up his name before she started dating him, then she would have known about Bethany and avoided him. A simple Google search could have prevented this tragedy. Both Vicky and Bethany's mother are trying to figure out how, even with his felony convictions, Ronald was able to get his green card renewed in 2012, something that is incomprehensible. To this day, he still denies having any involvement in Bethany's disappearance. After he was arrested, detectives from Bethany's case visited him in jail, hoping that he would talk to them about Bethany, but he simply directed them to contact his attorneys and refused to talk. In 2012, he made his only public statement about the case through his attorney, who said, quote, My client remains hopeful and prays daily that Bethany will come home. He has complete confidence that investigators are working hard on the case. End quote. If you're enjoying this podcast and want to hear more full-length episodes, mini-episodes, and more, then check out the Murder Podcast Patreon fan club. Not only will you be getting bonus content, but a portion of the proceeds will be donated to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Check it out at patreon.com slash themurderpodcast, and I'll also link it in the show notes. It has been nine years since Bethany was last seen. There has been no trace of her or her unborn child since January 29th of 2011. Bethany's family has always maintained that they believe Ronald is responsible for her disappearance since they knew that he was abusive to her. Her mother said that Bethany told her that she was afraid of Ronald and that he had threatened her with car keys one time, saying that he would cut her open with them. They had begged her to just walk away, but Bethany argued that he would never just let her go. Was she right? Bethany's family says that they are heartbroken and that there is now an empty place that was filled with Bethany's laughter. In 2013, two years after Bethany went missing, her mom told reporters that Bethany's son, then five years old, would often ask her where his mommy was and that the only thing she knew to tell him was that she didn't know but that God was with her. Over the years, police have received many leads, but all of them result in dead ends. They believe that when Ronald found out about Bethany's trip to Hawaii with Emil, that it didn't go over well, and that some of his family members may know more than they are saying. Detectives say that they will not give up on Bethany's case, saying that no one wants her case solved more than them, and that the case is never out of their thoughts. They also haven't ruled out the possibility of charging Ronald with homicide, even if they don't find Bethany's body, 
stating that if they gather enough circumstantial evidence, that they will proceed. Bethany was just 21 years old at the time of her disappearance and five months pregnant. She is 4'11", weighing around 130 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. If you have any information about her whereabouts or disappearance, please contact the Ladone County Sheriff's Office at 703-777-0445. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, please contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or online at thehotline.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. You can find all of the show notes and more information about this podcast at themurderpodcast.com. That's the murder, M-H-E-R-D-E-R, podcast.com. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying season one of the murder podcast. I wanted to let you know that I'm working on a special Q and a episode for the end of the season. And I would love to hear your questions about any of the stories we've covered so far. You can call in to our phone number and leave a voicemail asking your question. The phone number is 931-244-1118. Again, that's 931-244-1118. And all you have to do is leave your name, city and state that you're calling from and your question. And who knows, you might hear yourself on an upcoming episode of the murder podcast.